we have been considering the important question, what do we know about the righteousness of God from the Bible? We have considered a number of passages of Scripture which set forth the fact of God's righteousness. For example, in Revelation chapter 15 and verse 3, we have the admiring throngs of heaven establishing the justice and righteousness of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Just and true are thy ways, is their great acclaim. We proceed to say in the second place that by the righteousness of God we mean that God is absolutely perfect and just in all his moral relations. Righteousness is a matter of conduct in relation to others. By virtue of God's having created man in his own image, God came to be under obligation to govern his moral creatures. The great knowledge and wisdom of God dictates what is right and proper conduct toward his creatures and God's voluntary choice of love or an ultimate intention of perfect benevolence guarantees absolute perfection in the discharge of all of God's responsibilities toward man. These dealings will be in accordance with perfect justice or righteousness. These terms are used synonymously in the Bible the word justice not occurring in the New Testament, the word righteous rather being substituted. Justice is thus the love of God as applied to his moral government or the manifestation of perfect love in the realm of moral relations. God acts according to fact or truth and therefore his conduct is right. It is conformity to justice and duty to himself and to all moral beings. It is to act uprightly or in a right manner with all impartiality. It is the administration of law or the insistence upon proper conduct in his moral creatures. It is not an administration of advice merely, but an authoritative demand that moral beings shall respond to live their lives according to the enlightenment of truth in its perfect reasonableness and resulting happiness or suffer penal consequences. As long as God regards the highest well-being of all moral beings or abides in a state of love, he must of necessity react to man's conduct. The righteous are those who are willingly seeking to conform to God's ways. The unrighteous, those refusing such allegiance or continuing in a state of rebellion. God cannot be indifferent to good and evil. He cannot treat alike those in opposite camps. It is the fact that he does not treat them alike that constitutes God's righteousness in all his actions. Let us see how the scriptures present God's reactions to holiness and sinfulness in the heart of his creatures. In Exodus chapter 10 and verses 3 to 5, we read concerning this great Pharaoh of Egypt, 
as to how he rebelled against God, and God was obliged to treat him accordingly. And Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring the locusts into thy coast, and they shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail, and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field, and so forth. So if he would humble himself, God would treat him one way. If he refused and persisted in his rebellion, God was obliged to treat him another way. Thus the righteousness of God is manifested in the works of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3, we read a most explicit summary of God's reaction. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. Because God is this great God of infinite knowledge, and because his love guarantees his functioning according to this truth, God must react differently in response to man's actions. In Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verses 25 to 27, we read about the noble King Josiah who reigned over Judah from early youth. He led a reform that had a profound reaction with God, it appears, and led God to make great promises to him, even though he purposed to judge the nation. Because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all their works of their hands, Therefore my wrath shall be poured out upon this place, and shall not be quenched. And as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall ye say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which thou hast heard. Because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes, and weep before me. I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. And so here is a wonderful illustration of the repentance that must be in sinful man if God is going to be able to extend his kind mercy. So the great benevolence and love of God reacts one way toward those in rebellion, reacts another way toward those in submission, and thus is the righteous character of God established. We come to the Psalms, where we have many assertions. For example, in the fifth Psalm, verses 3 to 5, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. 
So because God is love and banishes all selfishness from his being, he also must react similarly to those who are in a state of love and react against those in a state of rebellion. In the 11th Psalm, verses 3 to 7, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked, and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup, for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. So God in great tenderness responds to man when he seeks to walk before the great God with a heart of love and devotion. In the 34th Psalm, verses 11 through 18, we have some strong assertions. Come ye children, hearken unto me. What tender invitations God gives to man. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as are of a contrite spirit. So here the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, we read, and his warm, loving heart is extended toward them. But of necessity, because God is love and loves truth, he must react unfavorably toward them that persist in the pathways of evil. And thus is the righteousness of God manifested. In the 138th Psalm, verses 5 and 6, Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. In other words, the proud will not know the inner manifestations of the life of God and what a price they pay. A person does not give up much to be a Christian. He gives up much not to be a Christian when we consider the great promises and love and kindness of God. In Proverbs chapter 3 in verses 33 to 35, the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blessed the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace to the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. And again in the sixth chapter of Proverbs, verses 16 to 19, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. So God must, of necessity, 
manifest his great and marvelous personality. God cannot, therefore, treat the godly and the ungodly alike and still retain his impartial state of love. But this inner state of love must react toward man in accordance with man's reaction toward God. And thus the heart of God is manifested in all his ways as he seeks to conform his actions to the great realm of truth that lies in infinite perfection in the great mind of God. Oh, my friend, have you brought yourself in allegiance to this great and loving and righteous God who observes your very action and knows the secret of your heart? If not, the gospel invites you to repent of all sin, come to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, find forgiveness through faith in his death, and go on to serve the Lord with great rejoicing and happiness, because his face will be toward you then. Our Heavenly Father, add the seal of thy approval upon these passages from thy word. We thank thee for thy righteousness, that we can always depend on everything thou dost do. And so we pray that many may respond to thy tender invitations this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.